Hey everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange, where we run courses and mentorship to help guide clinicians in applying a BPS approach to their practice. So check it all out at tkex.org. We also have our new in-person course dates up on the website. So today I've got a special guest with me. He is a client of mine. We've been working for three years, Mike, um, and we're going to chat about his experiences with back pain, with pain science, and also uh, get some takeaways for clinicians. I think there is huge value in listening to the lived experiences of the clients that we see. So Mike, thank you very much for making the time, mate. Thanks for having me. And um, so if you go back, it's it's been a while for you now. I'm actually not sure how, how long it's been. If we go from the first time you had uh, that bout of back pain and your experiences with healthcare professionals, what was what was it like? Uh, probably the <clears throat> the one that we've spoken about was 2014. There was one before that around 2012. And um, <clears throat> that was due to, uh, well, actually, I don't know, but what it seems to be was just a complete lack of activity. I was doing no exercise at the time. I woke up one day, couldn't get out of bed. It was just so much pain. And... Um, yeah. And then I, I didn't really think anything of it. Eventually it went away. And then I started exercising in 2014, got a little bit excited after some gains had occurred and decided to do a really hard session. And um, it was about half an hour after that session that uh, I was in the shower and pretty much collapsed and just couldn't walk and was, wasn't particularly worried yet, though. I was just like, that's weird. And then, yeah, then the, the next journey began which um started with a physio and there's a longer story there yeah so you had uh, a bout of back pain after an exercise session is that yeah started in 2014 mm -hmm. yeah just um just it felt really good at the time and i just thought I'd, i'll do an extra set which turned into probably five or six sets and um I don't know. I, it just, yeah, I just kept going. It didn't, didn't occur to me that there could be a problem with too much volume. I figured my body would just stop. Uh, and yeah, that, that, that's when it, that's when it began. And that was like after a, a deadlift kind of session in the gym, what was, mm. what was going on at the time? It was squats and leg press. Right. Right. And so you had, you woke up uh, in pain or was it that, Tell us a bit more about what happened, like proceeding that. It was probably a, a, like no more than an hour later. And I, I, I thought, wow, that was a really hard session as I was walking home. And, you know, that was good, right? Hard sessions are, are good. That's what I thought. And um, yeah, I was in the shower and I just thought, damn, that feels weird. And then just out of nowhere, uh, yeah, I just collapsed in the shower. And, um, I laid on my bed for a little bit and just thought, this is weird, whatever, it'll go away. And then, uh, it didn't, uh, and I think, I think I didn't do anything about it for two or three days. I just figured it'd go away. And, um, it was starting to, uh, affect my sleep. I, if I'd cough or sneeze, I would get these shooting pains down one leg. Um, I was having trouble getting in and out of cars. I still wasn't particularly concerned. I just thought, whatever, this is weird. And then I just thought, well, I better go to a doctor. So I went to a physiotherapist and um, he was uh, he was quite good. Well, in hindsight, no, but we were friendly and we um, joked a little bit. He tried some stretches and asked about the pain. And I, I went for three or four weeks to see him. And then I, I guess at some point after about a month of, of no improvement, um, and, and this shooting pain down my leg and I was limping everywhere as well, which it, it, it only started to bother me after about a month. Cause I thought this is really weird. It's every day, 24 hours a day, and I, I can't sleep properly. And I went back to him and sort of pressed him a bit harder. And that's when he started, uh, dry needling, um, and doing different kinds of techniques. I think he even attached at one point the needles. They like were acupuncture needles. He uh, did some kind of elect 
electrolysis thing and that happened. And mm -hmm. then again, I still wasn't particularly concerned. I was just thinking this is now really weird. I was very curious. Um, and I remember I went out dancing at some point after about a month of having this happen, had a few sessions with him, went out dancing. And I noticed that the pain went away after about one minute on the dance floor. And that was the first relief that I'd had for a month. And well, that sort of was good. I thought this is great. So it can't be that serious because it's it's now gone. As soon as I started, as soon as I stopped dancing, then it came back. And I thought this is now very interesting. Um, I'm quite a logical person. I like to be able to create scenarios where the pro whatever problem I'm trying to troubleshoot doesn't occur, because then I'm able to at least say, well, there's a scenario where it doesn't occur. I, maybe I can work out now what the mechanism that's ca causing it to occur is. So I went back to him and did another session and he didn't seem particularly interested in knowing that it didn't occur when I danced, which found, I found that very strange. Cause I said like, this is, this has got to be pivotal in some way to diagnosing what this is. And we were having a chat. It was still quite jovial and we were making jokes. And I just said, isn't this funny? And his boss uh, in the clinic was listening and she burst in kind of fairly dramatically and said to me uh, that I needed to take this more seriously. And that if I didn't take it seriously, that I may never walk again. And I went and and I'm you know not being hyperbolic. That was either exactly what she said or very close to it. And he was a bit shocked as well. I remember him like, oh no, I'm in trouble as well. And she said, take him for a scan like right now. And so they gave me a thing to go get a scan. The scan came back, some sort of disc protrusion. I don't remember exactly where, S5, L5, something. Um, and then as soon as I got that, I thought, oh, I've been incredibly irresponsible. This lady is right. And um, yeah, I, I need to I need to stop dancing and stop exercising immediately. Otherwise, yeah, I may never walk again. So that wow. that's I don't I don't know if that is that that's pretty much that story from there. That's that's crazy. It's um talk about like the the power of words and like the nocebo effect that uh, is often talked about nowadays and that's like a prime example where you actually felt better with some activity but then it was like downplayed as actually being harmful to your experience and it was almost like you were making it worse or i imagine that the narrative at the time was you were causing further damage or and you had to stop all activities was that what was happening? Yeah, I didn't have any, um, uh, what would you say? I, I didn't have any context to put this in because I, I hadn't started studying any kind of healthcare yet. Um, I hadn't, I, I think I might've, I, I started a computer science degree at the time. So I was very logical with troubleshooting, but I knew when I was out of my depth. And so I thought, well, I need to listen to this person because she has a clinic she was the boss um the you know i know how difficult a physiotherapy degree can be to get so he is a physiotherapist and had been for a number of years so i just thought that i i shouldn't i shouldn't push back on these people who seem so confident and um in hindsight i probably should have gone and got a second opinion but they seem, I mean, the clinic had said it was a sports physio clinic. There was a lot of um, markers, I guess, or you would call them just sort of indications that would tell me that this isn't a place you, you challenge, you know, it was like a if, a, if a surgeon tells you you need surgery, you don't ask him to explain explicitly why you, you, you trust, I guess, to some point. Yeah, there is that, that trust in a professional that you're, you're, you're paying money for and they've had the training as that that assumption that they're uh, up to date. And that's kind of, I was curious as to your opinion later on, um, on what might be some indicators for that now based on your experiences and, and knowledge. Uh, but if we go back to that that point, what what happened after after that? So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, so you had the experience, you, you I imagine stopped exercising, what was the journey after that? 
for you? Yeah, pretty much pretty much for a whole year. I didn't actually do any exercise and it took around about maybe like eight months to go away. And I actually ended up going to a doctor halfway into that period because the pain was still there and I wasn't sleeping. And he prescribed me with Valium. And so I ended up taking Valium and the dosage crept up and crept up to the point where I, I don't know, just something clicked in my brain that this didn't seem like a solution. So I ended up stopping that, uh, which was helping me sleep. And I just waited and then eventually it went away and it took, a, it took about a year. And then once it was sufficiently gone, like I hadn't noticed it for a few weeks, I said, well, now it's time to go back to the gym. So I went to um, a particular commercial gym and this time I, I thought I'd be smarter. So I said to the the person at the front desk who was um, recommending trainers, I, I said, I want someone with a background in science. I didn't know. I ended up with someone with a uh, um, some sort of exercise science degree with no clinical experience outside the gym. So there was that. And then I ended up training with that person for a while and then moved up to the head trainer, uh, again, uh, former PE teacher. I, I didn't know any of these people were not the people that I needed to see. And at no point did anyone or even the, the word exercise physiologist even came up. I didn't even know that existed. And so I trained with these people for a while. The, um, the the head coach at this commercial gym was very old school and had me slapping my thighs and screaming to get me to lift heavier and stuff like that but the pain wasn't there and that's all i really cared about so i i don't know i i thought maybe this was the answer and he got me to lift heavier than i'd ever lifted and it got my confidence back and i kept going and there was no pain for around about another i would say 2 years and then one day in the gym, I was doing RDLs and it happened again. And I just thought, oh no. And I walked home limping, exact same feeling. And I just thought to myself, I can't do another year off. And so that's where I saw uh, a physiotherapist that we both know. And uh, he gave me a very, very brief introduction to pain science, which I'd never heard of before. And it didn't click for a few months after that he, when he gave me that book, Explain Pain Science, it took a little bit for it to sink in. And then uh, we met about a year later. And that's when I think we continued the discussion around pain science. And I discovered Bible Medicine and read a few of their articles on pain. And then I understood what to do. But that whole journey took about six years, which I could have probably condensed a lot shorter had I spoken to a physiotherapist or an exercise physiologist or somebody who was knowledgeable in pain science and training. Yeah. Wow. That's a, such a long time as well. That is, I guess there's a back to the, the trust that you assume um, that people would have this knowledge as a, as a lay person who isn't qualified. Um, what, looking back with what you know now, what would have been most helpful for you say in that initial flare-up period uh well um i don't think it had been written yet but the article from barbell medicine pain what do if i had known if i had read that very short article in 2014 i think it would have been a paradigm shift for me to realize that uh pain uh well, I can't remember how they say it, but I think it's hurt doesn't equal harm. Mm -hmm. And just that also pain doesn't mean stop necessarily. Mm -hmm. It might mean reduce or it might mean alter. And so I didn't, I didn't know that. And back then I think I thought that the clinician would be able to heal me mm -hmm. and um, that they might have special knowledge and be able to um manipulate me maybe through an intervention either with some kind of external machine or their hands or recommend me some kind of exercise that they would with their expertise be able to uh, diagnose and then prescribe some kind of intervention that would fix me and i now what i know uh, after many years is that pain is multifactorial it's very complex getting single causes are almost impossible but also not even necessary it's quite 
quick and simple to be able to explore different movements that may or may not hurt. And then as you find ones that don't hurt, you can do those. And then through the exploration of movements where you can tolerate them or even find them fun, you might find, I might find pain disappears where I had previously experienced it. So I, I didn't know any of that. Um, I don't know if I had an expectation that maybe, I mean, like I went through, a, I got very angry at this physiotherapist in my head for many, many years. I was so disappointed. And I guess I, it was a long time ago. I, I don't know if he should have known or they should have known. It's really hard to say, uh, but I guess now uh, in this age, this year, I would expect people to have that now. I think it would be pretty shocking to me if I went to a, a clinic and uh, presented with pain, some sort of non-specific pain, not due to any kind of acute trauma and that they didn't go through that pain science process in some kind of uh, layman's terms with me. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely uh, talk for myself that in 2014, I would not have uh, recommended any of those kind of interventions for you. We would have done maybe stretching perhaps and some mobility corrective exercises, but um, now it's thankfully a lot more well-known. Um, so with your... Your experience it sounded like there was that that paradigm shift of of understanding more about pain and then there was a, also that i'm imagining a, an expectation from societal cultural um means that the the clinician does an intervention to fix something that's wrong with you could you tell us a bit more about some of your expectations and also how they've changed now based on what you've known. Yeah, that's um, that's still a, a tough one for me. I, I still feel part of me wants to go to a healthcare professional and have them give me an answer. And I don't know if I'm fully, uh, I don't know what you'd say, inoculated against that thought, but it's, it still seems uh, really difficult to comprehend that if I have an illness of some sort that the the my healthcare professional won't be able to diagnose it and it, it, it's complicated because it, it is and isn't true you know if, if i present with particular symptoms to a doctor they will do a, a process of triage and may be able to determine what it is maybe it's a bacterial infection a virus maybe there's something else going on and but that is is related but also isn't related to things like pain or things like lack of adherence to exercise programs and and things that are a little bit more abstract and maybe esoteric it, it's not you you don't have an infection if you're not doing exercise or if you're experiencing pain pain can appear through a multitude of factors including stress and so I, I don't know. I, I think the answer isn't that the the that I should arrive at the conclusion that the clinician cannot fix me. It's that there may be some circumstances where they're able to diagnose me. There may not be others. We we may be able to together get closer to the truth of what's occurring. And I think that it's that um it's that understanding that we're trying to get closer to the truth rather than uh, trying to uncover a single uh, uncover a single causal factor that is um, the root of what I'm experiencing. I think that's probably where I would end up arriving at some point. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, the collaboration together to to find out some helpful solutions. So maybe the the fix is that helpful solution, and there might be multiple solutions to the problem. I think we are generally taught that there is only one cause or there's that, that root cause, that source of pain. And instead we are now appreciating, as you mentioned, like that multifactorial nature where we can still get an expert opinion on that. And uh, I, I speak as well. My mind goes, you know, fix is a trigger word. Um, but I think you're, you're on the ball there that we can still have some helpful solutions and some constraints, um, you know, knowing what it isn't, at the first session and, and diagnosing, assessing to make sure that there are no red flags present. 
Um, but I mean, what for you now that you, you've come across Bible Medicine's article? I don't think it was written in 2019. I'm trying to remember exactly when it first um, got published. But what was the journey like for you? What were some of the the helpful turning points from just before that article and just after the uh, Pain Science or Explain Pain book? Yeah, it looks. I just looked it up. It, it was actually published when we met in December 2019. There you go. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I know that that's not the first incarnation of those thoughts. That explain um, explain pain science book is older than that, and I'm actually not familiar with the history of pain science. But I would probably make a guess it's somewhere in the mid 20 teens. Somewhere there was probably the beginning of this, but. Um, yeah, I'm not. It's hard to reflect back and think that something should have occurred. I mean, more so the the, the pivotal turning points uh, were. Um, I'm not sure if you want me to say his name. I don't think it matters if I talk about Tim, but he was the he was the one that gave me the book and um, explained pain science. And I, I at the time I now I know, but at the time I was so confused because I was in pain. And he, I, I said to him, this is the same pain. I was doing this. And I felt as though I'd almost captured the um, experience in a bottle. And so I wanted to bring it to him to examine as fast as I could so we could work out what caused it. But that was the wrong uh, way to look at it. And I didn't know that. And he did. And I know that he did instantly because he told me uh the analogy i think it's in that book about the bushwalker who's walking and feels a little prick on their ankle and doesn't think anything about it and ends up passing out because it was a snake bite and then does the same walk months later feels that same pain is convinced it's a snake bite is screaming and you know screaming for his friends to get help and it wasn't it was a leaf and he explained that to me at the time and i was i was confused i was like i came to you for a fix not a not a fable and um, he gave me that book. And I, I guess it is quite a, a difficult conversation to have. There's um, that recent book, How to Change Minds, by I think his name is David McCraney. And so I guess that's what Tim was trying to do carefully. Mm. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if anything should have changed, but that was definitely a turning point for me. And I left that book for probably six months before I even thought about it until I met you and then, yeah, then it, then it clicked. And I guess once it clicked, I went through a lot of different feelings. Like maybe these past clinicians should have known this, like we said, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't even, I don't even think that anymore. I just think it's, um, it's a very complicated thing to have explained. And I was quite attentive and curious and it did, I didn't, I didn't catch it. I didn't understand that really, um, like it was a paradigm shift in my thinking and I, I i didn't i didn't understand that it was occurring or anyone was trying to explain it to me as gently as they possibly could that maybe the pain i was experiencing the, the cause wasn't what i thought it was it wasn't in the rdl it wasn't in the technique it wasn't in the load because the second time there was no um you know large volume and yeah it wasn't any of those things um and i may never know what it is and it hasn't occurred for years so uh yeah i don't know if that was an answer yeah it was um probably uh not the the best option to hand you a, a book while you were in the midst of uh, trying to figure out your your experience and and also in the midst of a flare-up but um so it took a bit of time to for that to um, fully land for, for you to understand, understand, because I mean, um, there's a lot more to it than just handing some information to some people, but, um, in, in regards to, you mentioned that at, at the time, what, what did you think were some of the main factors? Like you mentioned the RDL, um, what technique perhaps and, and load at that time, what, what did you think were the, the causal factors? I was pretty convinced it was technique. Um, at the time, maybe for a variety of reasons, maybe things that I'd read, I'd, um, I'd uh, done Renaissance periodizations program 
before and at the bottom of one of their templates, I, I think I have it somewhere, they write in capital letters that um, technique is very important. I can't remember how they how they actually worded it, but yeah, I remember thinking at the time, okay, I guess, well, you know, I should really pay attention to my technique. I didn't, didn't entirely understand what that meant either. Um, I, I guess I just took it for granted that I should try really hard to have some sort of perfect technique. And uh, again, upon years of thinking about that, I, I realized that it's quite hard to define what that is. Yeah, I found the template. They said, um, ge under general tips on the front page, no jerking or swinging, never sacrifice form, always keep a tight lower back. And I guess because I, I'd had that from this template that I paid, well, actually it was from a one-on-one -on -one coaching. So it was quite expensive. So I guess I'd associated with the money that I paid with some kind of you know superior advice that I'd never heard anyone say. So I guess I figured maybe I was jerking or swinging, or maybe I had sacrificed forming. Mean, even sacrifice is quite a, like a strong word. And maybe I didn't keep my lower back tight. Um, and so I, I guess I thought that I should go to Tim and I should confess my sins that I was sacrificing form. Mm. Um, and I needed to, atone for that and hopefully he could do that but that was not the case i oh, needed wow. to um go back and do some lifting and have it lower uh, weights and just try to find some kind of entry point where i can begin lifting again but i mean luckily that time i didn't i didn't stop and it, it went away after about a week so yeah awesome it didn't take a uh, the full uh length of time that it took the first time but there was no. still that it makes complete sense if you've been told that technique is very important and to never sacrifice technique for your training goals, then it would make sense that if you were to have pain, that would, it would be kind of your fault that you did a movement wrong. Is, am I on the right track? Yeah, I think that that's pretty much, yeah, actually that would be how I felt. I felt mm. like I, I was the cause of this and I needed to take some kind of responsibility for that and understand what I could do in the future to not do the thing that I did so that I won't injure myself. And uh, what kind of things were you doing at that time um, in regards to, to exercise? So you had that idea that the technique uh, was, was quite important. And I'm imagining if, if I was in, in your situation that I would be, quite uh, aware of how I was moving and how I was lifting and how I was bending, sitting, standing, squatting. What was it like for you? Yeah. Well, at the time, uh, right before I saw Tim the year before I was living in Sweden and I wasn't working at the time. So I was just going to the gym sometimes twice a day. And I was, uh, I was, I was using Tim as my online personal trainer. And so I, I was messaging him any time I felt any kind of tweak and um, I was being quite hypervigilant and I was filming everything as though there was some kind of answer in that. I, I really wanted to uh, capture whatever injury was going to occur on video. So then I could show people I've got it. I've got it. That's the answer right there. Can you diagnose it now? Not understanding that it wouldn't look particularly different if I was to go back um, and and have a video capture of that first time in 2014 uh, that I injured myself, that the, 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 the real answer isn't there. And so I, I did that in Sweden and we, uh, we did a lot of different interesting programmings. We did sometimes these twice a day programs where I'd work out my quads in the morning and my hamstrings in the evening. And I, I just got very obsessed with um, trying to understand and pinpoint how to make progress with my performance, how to avoid injury. And I remember there was actually a physiotherapist in the gym I became friends with. And I think he looked at me the same way that Tim did because he knew about pain and we'd spoken very briefly about it. And when he asked me a question about why I was deadlifting off plates in the gym, I said to him, because I need to be careful of my back. And he said, well, tell me about your back. And I said, I've, I've got a disc protrusion. You know, I, I, I need to be careful so I don't, don't trigger it. 
And he looked at me and he said, something like 60 to 70% of the world, maybe even higher have disc protrusions. Why do you think that that, you know, that's causing the thing that you've had? And I, I don't, I think I just dismissed it at the time. And I realized that there were these clues along the way that people who were more knowledgeable than me were giving me that I, I just, I didn't have the training or the understanding to pick up on. And um, yeah, years later I, I wrote him a message and he he laughed and understood exactly and i think it's that that conversation that people were reluctant to have because it would have required quite a deep changing of my mind to then accept what they were saying and maybe even some formal training um but yeah wow there's um a lot of research now talking about how low back pain is more of a, a socio-cultural kind of almost condition where we we get told certain uh beliefs they become quote unquote thought viruses and they can um, make people behave in certain ways where it's they're fearful and avoidant of certain movements. And um, it does sound like it was quite that journey that you were told all these things. You were told about the importance of technique for not only um, injury prevention, I'm imagining, but also performance. And you were given a scan result. You were, you were told to um, be quite careful with your technique. So it, makes complete sense that you would be wanting to optimize your routine to avoid going into those incorrect positions and, and, and the wrong technique. Was that kind of the. Yeah, I think you're right because there was a instance of maybe a year or two ago, you might remember it where my knees were starting to hurt um, during one of our sessions. And I, at this point I knew a fair bit about pain. I knew enough not to worry, but there was still a part of me that was worried. Mm -hmm. And I changed my shoes at the time. And I started to think about, you know, whether this is an indication that I was going to experience arthritis in my old age and catastrophizing. But as, as this was occurring, um, I knew it was occurring. It was quite an unusual experience. And I, I knew not to worry too much about it. And then it lasted about five or six weeks and it went away. And then I uh, came back about five or six weeks ago after a night of very low sleep and changed my warm up. But I, I think that the, the description of a virus is right because I wonder what I would have done had I not had a few years coaching with you and the experience with Tim and the experience with this physiotherapist in Sweden, reading Barbo medicine, reading explain pain science and following these people. It's, it's like, um, all of the conversations that I've had with though you and other people and the information that I've read on social media has given me a level of inoculation so that now in the virus of, you know, catastrophization, uh, catastrophizing, or um, I see a post on Instagram or like I mentioned to you the other day, when I went to a gym to just start with a new personal trainer, he said a few things that set off some alerts uh, that, that I know are not true. Um, and so it, it, it inoculated me, but previous to that, I, I didn't have my vaccine, so to speak, because, and I, I just took it for, for granted that these people were telling me things that were, that were true. Yeah. M makes complete sense. Like if you go to, any other profession, I think we may or may not have had this conversation in the past, but if we go to say a financial advisor, a, a lawyer, a, a car mechanic, we would assume that they would have up-to-date knowledge and have solutions and answers. And, and we have that level of, of, of trust when we hand over our, our time and money to a professional. Um, so it's, it's very interesting now, I'm imagining for you as well, navigating the healthcare world and the, and the system with your level of knowledge and kind of inoculating against all the thought viruses that are unfortunately still very much around online and in person. Um, if, if we, I just wanted to circle back a little bit to, uh, so after you mentioned you, you were given explained pain, you had a few conversations with a couple of physios, uh, you had some, I'm imagining some experiences with going back gradually into some movements what were some of the experiences exercises or movements that helped along this journey to um, get you to to where you are um well so i think at some point 
in 2018 after I saw Tim when the last time this flare up occurred. I think I actually, I, I, I never consciously thought about it, but I gave up on weightlifting. I just thought to myself, you know, this is ridiculous. I keep hurting myself. I'm going to try something else. And so I went and uh, did rock climbing and um, I worked a contract for six months and that contract ended. So I decided to take uh, six months off and just climb almost every day. And um, I climbed and I remember after about a, maybe two months, uh, my fingers hurt so much from climbing. There were calluses tearing off my fingers. The, I was getting incredible amounts of pain, but because it was so fun, I just kept going through this pain. And I remember there was a day I couldn't even open a door. My fingers hurt so much. And it contrasted with the the level of pain that I was experiencing after climbing almost every day was very close to a 10 out of 10, but I was bearing it like it was a one. Whereas the flare up that I had with Tim really was not more than a two or three, but the anxiety around the thoughts that maybe I've damaged my back, maybe I've, you know, I've, I've done something again. I'm the cause of this. Oh my, I can't deal with another year off. All of those thoughts that were not actualizing into anything concrete were way worse than the true and genuine pain that I was experiencing from climbing. And so I, I, at some point uh, towards the end of 2019, I don't remember why, but I reached out to movement where you were previously and um, and I sought help, but I don't know why. I don't, I don't even remember. I think our first conversation, you asked me why I was there and it was about pain and injury prevention. And um, we spoke about that. So maybe I'd, I'd sort of felt like I was pushing again, but so some of the exercises that you mentioned, I mean, it was basically rock climbing for like a year. And then we started back into it with squat bench deadlift and overhead press and a um, little bit of unilateral stuff. And so I, I guess, yeah, exposing me to the exact thing <laughs> that had injured me was the final piece of the puzzle. And then once I realized that, you know, you can deadlift without shoes on if you want to, or you can lift with a rounded back to some degree and you can do certain things, it, it expanded my palette of understanding of what, uh, what is dangerous and what is not. And I think that was the final bit to understanding load, even to the point where I was climbing just a few days ago and I hadn't, um, I hadn't done this style of climbing for a while, this lead climbing. And I, I, I remember thinking, just manage my load. So I stopped when it felt like an RPE eight. I didn't push myself too hard. I knew that I'm going to come back in two to three days and do more. So I guess the things that you, that eased me back in were an exposure to the exercises that I was afraid we were going to hurt me, but then also an understanding of how to self-manage load and intuitively understand when maybe enough is enough. And the approach of just going harder and don't stop till you throw up because that's what gain that, that that's how gains are made. Like that virus, I think didn't get out of my head until probably about a year ago. Yeah. It sounds like there were quite a few viruses from not only the health world but also the the fitness industry of go hard or, or go home and that's how you gain muscle that's how you get stronger so that's uh it says a lot that you were able to overcome that and have that inoculation against the the, the misinformation we'll say or the, the yeah the the unintentionally um harmful ideas and beliefs out there with what you know now with your understanding of auto regulation pain um how have you managed have so you mentioned like the knee pain have you have you managed future or flare-ups since um since your knowledge of of pain science yeah so i now if anything hurts or i feel some kind of strange sensation that is unpleasant i kind of keep going for a bit and just see if it gets worse because sometimes it actually just goes away 
uh, I noticed that particularly with squats after maybe some low sleep uh, or around uni exams or if there's increased stress or uh, if the environment is a little bit uncomfortable, maybe it's really humid or really bright, or if there's some kind of other uh, things that I can modify, I notice that when I change those things, either the pain becomes more tolerable or it even goes away entirely. Uh, things like just warming up in a certain way, um, you know, lighter weights, or I noticed if I do some really light deadlifts before I squat, I mean, like an RPE, like five or four, um, then the squat feels better. And sometimes if I, yeah, if I obviously squat the bar as well, that can feel better. Um, so just understanding that there's uh, some things that I could manipulate and it, and then I will go with that. And if I can't, if I try a few things and nothing works, maybe just lower the weight or maybe go for a bike ride instead and just call it a day because for some reason something's really hurting today. And then just pick it up again and yeah, not take a year off again. Yeah. N not rush to any clinician or ask for a scan. No, not unless, I don't know, fingers and toes tingling and going numb or, yeah, you know, for some reason there's obviously some kind of acute trauma that's occurred or there's some kind of like really basic red flags that I have just to know, like I have fell off a ladder, my knees hurt. Maybe I should go and see about that but if i if everything's fine then i will just explore different ways and then if that doesn't work i will just wait and then if that doesn't work then maybe i'll go and have a chat to someone about it um, and try to work out what's going on yeah wow that's um it's so counter to uh i guess the the more uh known way of responding to pain or um with all the misinformation that we get from other people, myself with colleagues and uh, other healthcare professionals, and I'm sure yourself with uh, other friends and what you come across online. How, how do you manage that? How do you kind of, um, with your inoculation, handle that? And I, I personally find it quite challenging. So I'm imagining it's challenging for you. Yeah, that is actually a really difficult thing. Um, my sister went for a run last week and did something to her back and it was really painful and yeah she went and got manually adjusted and did things and bought new shoes and i just I, i'm i'm reminded of that david mcraney book and i just i didn't offer solutions i wanted to but i i just said that's really tough and here's a video maybe it would help but i don't think she was interested but yeah, I just, I try not to get into arguments with people. I mean, that that's one side of it. Someone's injured and what do I do? Because I have a little bit of knowledge, but then there's the flip side of it where I was at someone's house yesterday, it was a barbecue and somebody was talking about sciatica. And so I said, I think I've experienced that. And then they launched into a conversation about foam rolling and proceeded to like teach me foam rolling. And I just thought to myself, how did I get into this? but I just po politely listened and did the foam rolling that they wanted. And then eventually it ended, but I, I, I don't know. The answer is the answer. I, I don't know what to do except just, I mean, this is the position that Tim was in yeah. and, 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 and he's trained. And this is the position that that physiotherapist in Sweden was in and neither of them knew what to do. And I, they did their best, which I actually think was pretty good in hindsight I have no idea. Like, I mean, it's really a creative process to try to spark some kind of curiosity in the person telling you to make them go seek more information, maybe from a forum, maybe from a professional. I mean, there's always barriers to paying professionals. Uh, so there's that. There's a barrier of time. People don't really want to spend more than about 30 seconds to try to understand what they need to do to not experience pain. So reading a, a forum or watching a, you know, video or listening to a two hour podcast is, is way too much commitment. Um, so, uh, I would now, I, I just try to remind myself that it is quite uncomfortable when I have these conversations and that's okay. And if I can, I 
don't have them at all. I don't, I don't want to talk about my pain outside the context of a, a clinician's um, office uh, or, or someone who's studying this. I mean, I work with someone at the climbing gym who's studying uh, pain uh, through the context of neuroscience. And yeah, we talk a lot about various neurons and specific papers she's writing, but that, that's, that's very rare to, to have that occur. And so I think uh, most of the time I just try to protect my own inoculation so that I don't end up thinking that I need a weightlifting belt to prevent injury or, you know, someone said that to me yesterday and I, I started Googling weightlifting belts and I just realized I've, I've just almost caught the flu from this person. And, you know, we spoke about it briefly and you helped me quickly get rid of that. And I was like, I was like, how do these, how does this keep happening? And so then I just think it's, it's realization and acknowledgement that uh, unless you're talking to a, someone who's trained in this area with quite a lot of experience, and even then that they need to have a very specific kind of training and up-to-date experience and knowledge of the literature, that's probably best to approach the conversation with caution. Yeah, absolutely. It's that realization, awareness, noticing when the thought viruses are around. I think that's the first step in we can only do so much um, and take so much responsibility over that. But for the for the clinicians listening now, I'm, I'm curious, what would be some helpful advice, tips that you would like to, to pass on based on your lived experiences and, and your knowledge now of pain? I mean, to the clinicians that, you know, did the right thing and helped me. I'd just say, keep doing that to the ones that didn't help. I, I wish that they would be able to say, I don't know more often and mm. still feel okay taking my money. Um, and maybe some kind of like, a, like I, I wish that the initial guy back in 2014 had given me access to his notes maybe, and just showed me like, Hey, we're working together on this. Like, I don't know the answer, but I've got a lot of training. Let's troubleshoot this together. And um, I don't know, maybe involved other clinicians. Maybe I wish there was a process where they could, yeah, yeah, show me that they are, it doesn't even need to be an escalation, but just working with other people because this is weird. And, and um, there has to be some way to be able to to work out the answers to things that you don't know, or even to explain to someone who's experiencing something very unusual uh, that, um, you know, you might be better suited with another clinician or uh, just, just the process of not needing to be confident um, all the time and not needing to pull out external instruments and poke and prod people and they're, you know, it, it is, I mean, it, it comes from the, the the client as well. I mean, I may have, you know, pressured him into needing to know as well. So I think it's as much advice for the clinicians, maybe to educate clients on, on how to be a good client, because there is a way to, to do that to some degree. I mean, that's a conversation that needs to occur. I mean, I, people are pressuring clinicians for quick fixes and then clinicians respond with a quick fix. Like it seems to be a, a cycle and, now I realize, and even though it it does, uh, it's kind of disappointing to know that I can't just take myself to a physiotherapy clinic like I take my car. I can't get my oil changed. I can't get my tires filled. You know, you can't replace my spark plugs. And I, it, the human body is not a, uh, a a machine. And that maybe that's a some like a basic conversation that needs to occur with clinicians and clients to explain to them that the, the, the paradigm that you may think is going to occur is actually not going to occur but what is going to happen is even better than that because we're going to work it out and that's how we're going to work it out by not treating you like a car that's awesome it's like changing the entire uh philosophy the framework that generally clients are led to believe through marketing and previous experiences and sociocultural beliefs and that what i'm hearing is that being honest and being okay with uncertainty and, and not knowing so that there is that full disclosure and there's that collaboration to happen. It's not like I have all the tools and the, and I know exactly what's going on when in reality, we don't know a lot of things. I think that that honesty 
and having maybe that upfront conversation about some of the assumptions, even reframing problems that people have when they come in. So then they know that there's, that there's actually a bit more to it than maybe what they've been led to believe. Is there anything you'd, you'd add or, or change? No, I mean, that's exactly, I mean, it is so tough. I can't mm. imagine. I mean, it feels like I have advice, but I don't really, because then, you know, you get someone who comes into a clinic, maybe they're just a certain personality type, aggressive, upset, scared, you know, and, and the, you are not a car speech may not work for them. In fact, it may worsen that it's really, it's such a difficult thing to be that, that requires individual individualization a, a similar approach like i think everybody needs to know that they are not a car but how you go about explaining that to mm. people so that then they the treatment that they receive is what they expect then otherwise they may be upset that you aren't helping their glutes fire yeah well yeah that's um we can go with like general guidelines and recommendations but it in the end comes down to that person and their own constraints and the kind of uh, sandcastle beliefs is what Laura Mosley calls it in explain pain. It's there's certain beliefs that are just immovable. So trying to play around with that um, as much as the, the, the conversation, the interaction, the therapeutic relationship allows. Mate, that this has been an awesome conversation and, and insights. I've definitely learned even just through talking with you. Is there anything that I've, I've missed Anything that you'd like uh, clinicians to to leave with? Uh, the only thing I, I heard um, Austin Baraki on a podcast recently mentioned um, that Australians have really got this low back pain clinical care standard right. It's from the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare, and there's a it's called Low Back Pain Clinical Care Standard, and it's about aiming to improve. I'm um, reading from the website the early assessment, management, review, and appropriate referral of patients with uh, low back pain and so you know if you just google low back pain clinical care standard um, there's this amazing document and a podcast and i mean this is what i wish my physiotherapist in 2014 had i mean this didn't exist back then it exists now um, and it was released september 2022 so it just seems fantastic so i guess yeah that that's what i wish everybody knew yeah just the standard guidelines <laughs> i'm just looking at it now it's um, we've definitely come a long way, and I think there is hope that healthcare is so slowly changing. And I think with with more people like you sharing your story, and with more inoculation around, I think we can slowly start changing the the cultural beliefs around pain. But so tough, Mike. Yeah. Appreciate your time. And um, have I missed anything before I let you go? No, that's it. Th thanks so much for letting me um. Yeah, share my story and, and, and speak with you. Mate, awesome. Thank you.